explanation of the Bible study. Many, many years ago, I started teaching uh, the gospel. Um, and I would just go to my computer and, and make a couple of copies of a print-off. And then I would go to a house, sit down at a table and have something to drink or whatever um, the folks would give to me. And then I would teach this Bible study. So when we begin to put it together, uh, we needed a title. And so I just titled it Tabletop Bible Study. Um, it doesn't have a great significance except that I've been at hundreds and hundreds of tables teaching what I'm teaching tonight. And so this is my Tabletop Bible Study. Now most of what you would read if you have printed out the PDF or you have the book in your hand uh, you'll find that most of it is scripture. There's not a lot of commentary uh, by me or by other people, and I don't quote a lot of commentators anyway. Instead, I would rather rely upon the scripture itself. So if by chance you have uh, that PDF file and you want to take a moment and download it, you can do that now. If you're ready, I'll just begin at the top of page 15, and this is lesson three, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In this lesson, we declare that God is a spirit. Everyone say, a spirit. Yes, God is a spirit. And we can have his spirit living inside of our hearts. Now, the scripture is clear that everyone must be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Paul also related to us how that the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost is the resurrection of Jesus applied to our lives. Jesus himself introduced to us the Holy Ghost as the promise. Peter also called it the promise. The prophet Joel prophesied hundreds of years prior to the day of Pentecost, and he foretold that this promise was a pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. The question then becomes... How does a person know that they've received the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? Through the scripture, we discover this truth because it's in the Bible. I just want you to re remember that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will forever be the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And in fact, I want to remind you of that definition now, we can call it a lot of different things, but Paul already gave us the definition of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul said, I want to remind you of the gospel which I taught, which you received, how that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And tonight, we're talking about the resurrection. For just a moment, I want you to know that this gospel was firmly implanted into the lives of the Jewish mind or the Jewish people. They already had a very good outline, a description of the gospel. They celebrated it. They knew it well, but they didn't know these exact terms. I'll show you what they did have. So this is my whiteboard, and everybody loves for me to draw in color, although you have to have the gift of interpretation to understand it sometimes. So this was the model of the tabernacle. It was 75 feet wide by 150 feet long. 
That's the tabernacle of Moses. So the tabernacle of Moses was firmly implanted into the lives of people. They knew what it was. They had seen it, rehearsed it. It was part of their culture. In fact, every Jewish child growing up understood the tabernacle of Moses. They, they had a clear description of it because from the tabernacle came the temple. And so after the temple, uh, the first temple came the second temple. And even in the days of Jesus Christ, Herod expanded this temple. It became a massive uh, community endeavor. But the, the similar elements or the same elements existed in that temple. Here are the three main artifacts of the temple. The first, the first artifact of the temple was the altar. There was an altar. It was an altar of sacrifice where animals were killed. When you walked into the temple, all of the tribes were, oh, all of the tribes were, were camped around the temple, all of them. And the tribe right in front of the temple, that was the tribe of Judah. So Judah was right in front of the entrance to the temple. So it's very interesting when David said, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving and to his, and to his uh, gates of thanksgiving to his courts with praise. Well, that was even a literal sense because Judah actually means praise. So when the people walked through, they had to go through the tribe of Judah to get into the outer courts. And in that outer court was this article. It's the altar of sacrifice. Animals were slain, they were killed. That blood was then carried, and then there was a round uh, pool of water. They called it the molten sea. So the priest would take the blood, the animal would be burned, he would wash at the molten sea, that was the second article, that was the water. And then there was the holy place, and then back here was called the holy of holies. And in there was this golden glowing box that they knew as the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, they would sprinkle the blood from this altar uh, onto the mercy seat. And so those are the three main articles that every Jewish boy and girl, every Jewish person understood. It was death, it was burial, it was resurrection. It was death of the animal, it was the washing, and it was the cloud the cloud of glory would come down, the cloud of glory, and consume the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Death, burial, resurrection, forever. So when the day of Pentecost came, and Peter started to preach, and I'm going to read the scriptures to you, it was no surprise. It was in their language. It was in their language. Let me just rehearse a couple of things for you. We found this many years ago, but just because we found it a few years ago doesn't mean it didn't exist. Other people have known all these things. In fact, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Let me just share with you something that's happening around the world today. Multiple years ago, we have discovered that there is a massive underground church in China receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're speaking in other tongues. There's millions of them. In fact, a conservative number some 15, 20 years ago was that 50 million Chinese people have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine that? I wonder why the Chinese people and the Asian people are receiving that. Why are they so receptive? Well, if you would study the ancient languages, you would know that Chinese 
uh, also have a communication in their language. They would read in pictographs, a pictograph, it's a picture. And so guess what the pictograph would be for a flood? Well, it would be, it would be a boat with the number eight. How interesting that is. Or a garden. It's two images with, with, a, with a plant, two, two, a man and a woman with a plant. So the Bible is firmly entrenched in the pictographs of the, Chi- of the old Chinese language. It's incredible. Why would that be? Because for 4,000 years, China was not invaded. Only the barbaric hordes from the north came and invaded them, and they did not traverse the great walls. They just went through the gates. China has been preserved. That culture has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years. This is just my opinion, but I believe that God has reserved a phenomenal end-time revival among the Chinese people, and it's happening. Now, just because we don't see it here does not mean these things are not taking place all over the world. People are receiving the gospel far beyond the borders of our country, far beyond the borders of our states, our cities, or even our church. We have no idea how far this is spreading. It's an incredible thing. That's exciting to me. That's exciting to me. Okay, so let's just establish a couple of things. First, let's establish that God is a spirit. No matter how you um, look at the scripture, you have to note God is a spirit. Here's John 4.24. Jesus said this. Now, even though this is in black letters, this is the Lord speaking. Jesus said, God is a spirit, capital S. They that worship him must worship him in spirit, in their spirit, and in truth. So this has got to be done with your heart or your emotions. So God's a spirit. There's no controversy. God is a spirit. Now we want to know that there's only one spirit. We're going to note this in Ephesians 4.4. There is one body and, what does it say? And one spirit, even as you are called and one hope of your calling. So God's a spirit, and there's only one spirit. There's not two or three or four or five, one spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, Romans 8.9. But you're not in the flesh, but in what? The Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, we're, we're continuing this thought. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So let me just show you a couple of, we might even call it derivatives of that one terminology, the Spirit. You can say the Spirit, capital S. You can say Spirit of God. You could say Spirit of the Lord or of of the Lord Jesus. or the Lord's Spirit. There are so many different derivatives. This could also be called the Holy Spirit. Same thing. Or the Holy Ghost. There are a lot of different terms in the Bible, but there's only one Spirit. So if I say the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, we're still talking about one Spirit. We're just using different terminology for the, the same Spirit. When we say God is living inside of you, the Lord's living inside of you, that's the Spirit because that is the active moving force of God. 
Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. He said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of what? The Spirit. You've got to be born of the Spirit. We, we want to know how that's possible. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So there is a very physical thing that happens. And the two types of baptisms that the Lord promoted and mentioned here are water and spirit. Water baptism and spirit baptism. So just so we know, if anyone uses the term Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit or Spirit of the Lord or the Lord is living inside of us or we're seeking the Lord, we're still talking about the same thing. We're just using different terms. So sometimes I'll use the term Holy Ghost. Sometimes I'll use the term Holy Spirit or the Lord's Spirit. I'm mentioning the same thing. I'm also aware from that scripture that we just read that no one can enter heaven without the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit or to be born of the Holy Ghost. Now, when we talked earlier, we mentioned that the Gospels all have a great commission at the end of them. And so we also know that not just Matthew, but Luke also has this time when the Lord is going to commission them. And I'm reading from what the Lord said in Luke 24, and there are just a few verses, three verses there, 47, 48, and 49. This is what Jesus said. He said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. He's talking about himself. Among all nations, and it should begin at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, here's what the Lord said. I send the promise of my father upon you. Now, no one knows what that is, but he just called it the promise. Here's the Lord's instruction. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Go there and just wait until you're endued with power from on high. Now, at the end of the book of Luke, as we mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have this incredible book called Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles. This is the birth of the church. In fact, it's the only book where people were shown as being saved. It's the only book. Now remember, there are dispensations. There's a dispensation of innocence. That's in the garden. We don't know how long that, that, that lasted, but we do know Adam and Eve was in the garden. They were in perfect peace. And then came another dispensation. The garden ended. Now came this, this explosion and, and recreation and procreation around the world. And then there was an ending point when it got so bad that God sent a great flood. And after the flood, we finally find our way to Abraham. 2,000 years cover about 11 chapters and then the Bible puts on the brakes. And now, for as many chapters and more, we're going to discover Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is a man that carries a covenant. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. That's a different, different dispensation. And after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph comes to the scene. If you're going through the timeline, Joseph comes to the scene. He rescues uh, his own family and he rescues the land of Egypt. He dies, Joshua chapter 2, another generation arose that, which knew not Joseph nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't know God. And then from that, they are, they are in prison and 
and the Jews are in prison. They're, they're there for about 430 years. They had disobeyed God, and all that time they had been disobeying God. They had worked the land. They had tilled the land and worked it. They did not obey God and let the land rest. Every seventh year, they were supposed to let the land rest, but through greed. And then God sent them into captivity in Egypt. Are you still with me now? So it's Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then a long period of time, then Moses comes, the deliverer. Moses, his name means drawn out. He was drawn out of the Nile River. Moses lives, lives three portions of his life. He lives 120 years, 40 years as the prince of Egypt, 40 years he lives uh, as a married man on the backside of a desert in Midian. His father teaches him uh, the ways of a shepherd. And then 40 years he lives leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. He dies at 120 years old. After him comes Joshua. And then we see the judges and, and, and they morph into Samuel and then the kings begin. All of these things happen. And they're leading us through this covenant. Everyone is covered still under this Abrahamic covenant. Until the end of Malachi, which is the last book in your Old Testament. And the people got corrupt. They, were, they had grown disobedient. They were giving God sacrifices that were maimed and blind. And the sheep were, were the worst of their field. And then God didn't speak for 400 years. And then comes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Each of them describe the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels, and John takes a different view. His view is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So John, uh, the book of John, the gospel of John, is going to describe or promote the deity of Jesus Christ. At the end of these books, these Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we find is that Jesus will die. Remember, Jesus dies. He's, he's, he's put on a cross. That is the death of the testator. At the end of each gospel, we realize that the testament, as we talked about er earlier, does not begin until the death of the testator or the will. So the will doesn't begin until after Jesus dies. So even though our Bibles have this wonderful division of Old Testament and New Testament, the New Testament really does not begin until after Jesus dies on the cross. And then comes the New Testament. Now, I know that's kind of hard to understand because you're looking at your Bible says, well, New Testament begins in Matthew. But a, but a testament doesn't begin until after that testator has died. So when you, when you see the, the thief on the cross and Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise, well, many people say, well, he didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, how can he be in heaven and I need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the reason why is because he is under the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, all of those prophets. He gets to be included in the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. But when Jesus dies and he resurrects from the grave, he is going to give Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven and a new covenant is going to be made and it's not the covenant of Abraham. It's the covenant of grace. The law is now the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And now we're going to, we're going to embody in our own lives the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, the altar of sacrifice, the molten sea, and the ark of the covenant. We all get to experience that as the birth of the church. Okay. 
That's a lot of stuff. You might have to rewind this. All right, here we go. So Jesus comes in Acts chapter 1. Here he is in Acts chapter 1, and he's talking to them. After he resurrected, he's talking to them. Remember Acts chapter 1, the former trees have a made old Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had shown himself alive by many infallible proofs, being seen of them, the disciples, 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now watch this. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but here it is again, wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now he's going to describe the promise of the Father in the next verse, verse 5, Acts 1, 5. For John, speaking of John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You must be born, of the, born again of the water and of the Spirit. The Lord's introducing this again. So if you go to the top of your page, page 16, once again you see, I'm going to send the promise of my Father, And when he's with them again, at the end of his time, he promotes waiting for the promise of the Father. When it happened, and we're going to get into that, but when it happened, Peter began to preach the keys to the kingdom, death, burial, resurrection, the gospel, repentance, water baptism, and spirit baptism. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, this is what Peter said. Here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to obtain, or for, the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. The Holy Ghost is the promise. Jesus talked about the promise of the Father. Now Peter gets to describe to all of us and to them what the promise was. The promise is the Holy Ghost. And it's for you, it's for your children, it's to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So, the promise is the Holy Ghost. Let's go to the next line here, and I'm, I hope I'm not rushing uh, too fast, but uh, there's so much material, and, and perhaps you could go back and listen and look at this again. I'm just reading to you from the Scripture. How would I know that I have the Holy Ghost? Is it something I say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost, and, and then I suddenly have it? Is there any evidence that the Holy Ghost is inside of me? And how would I know that? Remember Acts chapter 10. There's a family there, the, the family of Cornelius. He's a Gentile, and he is praying to God. The Bible says he, he gave alms, he fed the poor, he prayed all way, the Bible said. And Peter is brought, really, by the Lord to the house of Cornelius. And Peter begins to preach to this entire home. In fact, everyone's there, and it could be dozens and dozens of people. And he brings with him certain of the circumcised Jews which believed. And while he's preaching, which I love this, the Bible says, while he spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. They of the circumcision, these are the Jews, which believed, they were astonished as many as came with Peter. Why? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't think the Holy Ghost was for the Gentiles. Now how did they know they had the Holy Ghost? Verse 46 and 47. Here's how they knew. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You see, the evidence of the Holy Ghost is speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. uh, utterance. And I'll show you that when it was first poured out. But I just want you to know 
they had to have evidence of how they received the baptism of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in their lives. When, when they left Jesus and went to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, they, they went from Jerusalem, they went from, from where they were to Jerusalem, and the Lord ascended, if you, you might even remember that, they were there together, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, it was about a Sabbath day's journey, it wasn't far, and so they would go to Jerusalem from this Mount of Olivet, and a Sabbath day's journey was different than a normal day's journey, so they just went down to the Kidron Valley, and they found a room that was a rented room, they all jammed up in this room, there was about 120 of them, they were there, they had just left the Lord, it was an incredible scene, because when the Lord left them, he ascended into the sky. The Bible says two men stood by in white apparel. These were angels. And they said to all the disciples, they said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now they're on their way to Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, up the other side, passing through the eastern gate, now they go through this upper room and they're praying for approximately seven days. Remember, Passover and Pentecost are 50 days apart. The Lord was with them 40 days. He had been in the grave three days. That's 43 days. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So the two festivals are 50 days apart. This is Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and sat upon each of them. And what does the Bible say? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Spirit spoke through them, and they spoke in an unknown tongue. That's how this happened. Acts two, one through four are pivotal, that is the birth of the New Testament church. The death of the testator, the Abrahamic covenant was closed, now a new covenant begins. In fact, the old prophet said, I wrote my law on your heart, but now uh, on tables of stone, but now I want to write my law on your heart. Think of that. The Passover took place, that was the death of a lamb, a spotless lamb, blood was applied. The next festival was Pentecost, and Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. That was Sinai, where the law was given. Pentecost, or, or the festival of the first fruit, came. Now a law was written on our heart, the Holy Spirit in our heart. So tongues accompanied the Holy Ghost. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost? How do I know? It's evidence by speaking in other tongues. It's kind of like a baby that's born. You know that baby is alive when that baby begins to speak, there's an utterance. Mark chapter 16 is also the great commission, one of the great commissions of Jesus Christ according to Mark. Here's what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say he that believeth shall be saved and sometime later get baptized. No. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What kind of baptism? Both baptisms. Water and spirit baptism. Just like John 3 born again of the water and the spirit. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, if you don't believe, that's the first step, thou shalt be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. Jesus said, in my name, they'll cast out devils. 
they shall speak with new tongues. Jesus promoted speaking in other tongues. <laughs> okay. Whew. Lots of information. Let's all just take a big breath and we'll turn the page to page 17 and, and I won't labor her too long, but I just kind of want to show you this phenomenal thing that happened because when it happened on the day of Pentecost, it was actually a prophetic uh, revelation, a fulfillment of the prophecy of old. Not only did the Jewish people have this ingrained in their history or in their conduct, the tabernacle, the temple, the altar, the, bra- the, the, the molten sea, and the Ark of the Covenant, but the prophets of old spoke and prophesied about what was going to happen. At the top of your page, page 17, I made mention of this. In the Old Testament, both Joel and Isaiah prophesied about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The New Testament, both John the Baptist and Jesus spoke about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then it happened in the book of Acts. Here's Joel chapter 2. He's prophesying 700 years before Pentecost. Joel said, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That's interesting. You might say, well, pastor, is he really talking about Pentecost? Was, was Joel talking about Pentecost? How do you know? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Peter is preaching. After Peter received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he's preaching. Think of this. 120 of them spill out of the upper room, speaking in other tongues. There's a major festival. There is a major festival happening in Jerusalem again. Jerusalem will swell. It might have 40 to 60,000 people, guests from all over the place. And they're speaking in other tongues. And the people who hear these 120 people speaking in other tongues, they're, they're confused. And they said, how aren't all these who would speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Pontius, Phrygia, Camphylia, parts about Asia, Cyrene. How do we hear them speak in our own tongues wherein we were born? They ask, are these all drunk? Are they, are they been drinking? We don't understand all of this. The Bible says that tongues are of men and of angels. Sometimes it can be interpreted. Sometimes it cannot. So Peter got up to preach and said, oh, these are not drunk as he supposed. Seeing it is about the ninth hour, third hour of the day. But, but this is that, verse 16. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Peter quotes Joel. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Peter relates back to Joel a prophecy. This is that. This Holy Ghost outpouring, this new birth experience, this gospel is what Joel was talking about. If you read the book of Isaiah, another prophet, you'll hear what Isaiah was talking about. For with stammering lips and another tongue, God is going to speak to his people. Matthew 3.11 He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That happened on the day of Pentecost. Cloven tongues like as a fire. John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to send that to you. That's the Spirit. Here's finally John 16 and 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. This baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was prophesied, it was foretold of by John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, Joel, and Isaiah. Now let's go to the 
the next portion of, of that, of that um, page, and I know this might be a lot of information, but this is in, it's imperative that you understand this information, this powerful Holy Ghost. It, it was first poured out in Acts 2. That was to the Jews. Then there's this bridge of people. They're, they were considered in the Bible half-breeds. They were both Gentile and Jew. They were called Samaritans. They didn't fit in with the Gentiles because they wanted to worship, but they weren't allowed in Jerusalem to worship because the Jews uh, did not like their ways. So they were somewhere in the middle. Remember John chapter 4, Jesus ministered to a woman at a well. In fact, it was Jacob's well. And he spoke to her and planted seeds that would come about later on in a great revival. And Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 10. Acts 2 are the Jews receiving the Holy Ghost. Acts 8, the Samaritans are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And Acts 10, the Gentile, the door to the Gentile is open for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. It's an incredible thing when you consider it. And I, I want to recall a moment here with one of the young girls in our church. And there's a, a sweet couple here, the Switzers, that have done so much good for so many people. And if you're watching tonight, I want to thank you for all the work you've done through the foster care system. And then, of course, through all the other things you've done with people. One of the young girls many years ago, uh, Samantha, uh, she was seeking for the Holy Ghost. Uh, Samantha... Uh, lost her hearing, I guess, as a baby, a child, and, and uh, could not hear. When Samantha talks, she has a guttural sound. Um, and then later on, um, uh, the Schweitzers were able to, to get a, uh, an implant, a cochlear implant, uh, but still, because Samantha can't hear, whatever she would say comes basically from her throat. But one night while we were praying, just over to my right and your left, Samantha was at the altar. I, Tammy just said, just lift up your hands and just begin to worship the Lord. Hallelujah. And as she did that, it was an amazing thing that happened. I'll never forget that night. The Holy Ghost fell right in that area and the grown men that were standing around her just collapsed to their knees or several of them just went right down to the floor. It was, it was like a big, big pail of water, just massive, just poured out. And Samantha, that had never heard any words, began to speak out of her mouth tongues and she spoke not from her throat or a guttural sound she spoke as if she was had always spoke and she could hear everything that that we hear it was an amazing moment and i'll never forget that moment it was incredible when she received the baptism of the holy ghost and the holy ghost spoke through her with tongues i was in russia many years ago and it was i've been there a couple of times i think it was nine my my first or second trip, maybe it was 91 or 92 that I went. My first trip, I tried to learn some of the language and I didn't know it very well. By my second trip, I had learned one phrase. That phrase was Anya Manipayu, which means in Russia, a Russian, I don't understand. So when they would talk to me, I would just say Anya Manipayu and they knew I was a dumb American and I didn't know anything. We traveled from... Uh, St. Petersburg, it, it was called Leningrad. The next year they went back to the name St. Petersburg after 72 years of, of, uh, of the Soviet bloc. Uh, we, we were in uh, a hotel called the Prebaltiska, and we went from the Prebaltiska, drove all night, 
and we, were, we drove about six or seven hours and arrived in the morning at a town um, called Boksitogorsk. And when we got out of that, of that bus, we were all wiped out, but all the town came out and we had, we had lunch with all the people. And, you know, of course, you can remember these moments because uh, the Soviet Union in those days, they spent all of their money on armament and they never invested in uh, refrigeration. So you never have a, any ice in your drinks. And so if there was a Coca-Cola or a drink or something, it was always flat and room temperature warm, sometimes even hotter than room temperature. So whatever it was, you know, and, and we ate and, and I don't know what I was eating, but it was fresh food because it came right out of the garden. And, and so we ate. And that night we had this phenomenal worship service where we sang and we preached and there was an interpreter and they loved the music. All the town came out. Probably, I think they said around 1,500 people and they came from all surrounding areas. We were the first Americans to ever set foot on that soil. All they'd ever heard of America was, was uh, hateful things and, and that we were the enemy. After the service was over, I was, I was in that auditorium and the rafters, uh, there was, it was like a massive barn almost, but the rafters were lined with people. They were sitting on the rafters. Um, I went back and there was a little staging area and, and I had my saxophones in my hand and I was very tired from a long trip. We were about to get back on the bus. And a group of young people came over to me um, and, uh, and they motioned that they wanted to pray with me. So I, I, uh, I put my instruments down and, and uh, we just all held hands and prayed. And one of the girls that was there began to pray in English. If you've ever been to a foreign country, you really want to talk to somebody who speaks your language. I was so happy to hear her pray in English. And so after we were done, I walked over to her and I, and I started talking to her and she kind of shrugged and didn't understand what I was saying. Our interpreter, her name was Tamara, came over and, and Tamara was way ahead of me, uh, obviously a lot more spiritual than I, than I was. And, and Tamara said to this Russian girl, she said in English, do you speak English? And the girl shrugged her shoulders and said, I don't understand. And then I realized for the first time I had heard someone speak in a language they didn't know, but I understood. And here's what she said over and over again. And she didn't just say it with an accent. She said it like she was from the Midwest where I grew up in Missouri. She said, Praise be to the Almighty God. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. She said it over and over. Praise be to the Almighty God. I said it all the way home, back to the hotel, six hours. We were just crying and praying. Praise be to the Almighty God. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is real. It's for everybody. People are receiving the Holy Ghost in diverse places. All over the place, people are receiving the Holy Ghost. Many, many, many years ago, um, my aunt, Josephine, um, of course, in St. Louis area at the time, all the Italians lived together in neighborhoods. And um, if you were going to be Italian, you had to be Catholic. That's just the rules. I don't know why of those rules. One night, my aunt, Josephine, um, she was probably about 25 years old. She she went to Mass on Sunday morning, and Sunday night she went over to this church. They, they called it White Way Tabernacle. 
And she sat in the back row and she saw all these crazy Pentecostals. They were clapping and they were shouting and there was music and she had never seen anything like that. She kept coming back and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was incredible. She brought her Bible, which of course, that time, Catholics never carried around a Bible. She got a Bible. She went over to Grandma and Grandpa's house. They kicked her out. You cannot come in here. And my grandmother fell uh, sick. She felt sick. My grandfather got in depression. Uh, my grandmother sat on a chair for weeks. She got depressed. Grandpa finally came in. The story is that he came in and said, Annie Farino, I'm tired. I'm hungry. And you got to get up. And uh, she said, well, you got to let Josephine come back into the house because they just excommunicated her. So father, uh, one, of the, one of the fathers came over, one of the priests came over, and they said, please go re- bring Josephine back to the Catholic Church. So they sent a young priest over to my Aunt Josephine's house. She had no furniture. She was very poor, just a little couch. He sat on the couch. She sat on the floor. And then after a couple sessions, one of the nuns came with him. She sat on the floor. She began to, to, to show him the Bible. This happened in the Bible. And my Aunt Josephine converted them. Both of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues in her living room, and they stopped sending priests to her house after that. That's what they did. Several years ago, I was in Bossier City, Louisiana. We were preaching. It's a beautiful church, Brother Dean's church. It's a phenomenal place, and he is an incredible man, him and his wife. And, and I was just there preaching on a Wednesday night, and... Um, this was before we had children, and of course my hair was a different color at the time, and, and I was thinner, I think, at that, at that juncture. I got done preaching. At the end of my sermon, I don't know why, but I just began to speak in tongues. And I finally put the microphone down and walked away, and a lady came up to me at the end of the service, and she said, I want to thank you for what you said. And I, of course, I didn't know what she meant. She said, I was on my way to church tonight, and I asked God, do you know where I'm at, Lord? Do you remember me? Is my ministry over? Is my, is my value over? And I said, well, I'm sure the Lord has a word for you. She said, oh, no, the Lord did speak. She said, you see, for many, many years, many decades, my husband and I were stationed in Japan. I speak fluent Japanese. And when you began to speak in tongues, you began to speak in Japanese, and you said in Japanese, I haven't forgotten you. I know where you are. Your ministry and your value is not over. I just couldn't believe it. I turned to Brother Dean, and Brother Dean was there, and he said, oh, no, this lady is legitimate. She's a master degree lady. She's very, very smart. This is a real thing. That was the second time that something happened like that. I spoke in a language that she understood. The Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, it is for you. When you receive the promise, you're going to speak out of your mouth. This is the second part of, Acts, of, of, our, of our lesson here in this page 17. I'm going to give you all the occurrences where people uh, receive the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 14 through 17. This is Samaria. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, it was an overwhelming revival. So they sent Peter and John, who... When Peter and John were come down, prayed for them. Why? For them, for they might receive the Holy Ghost. Let me just ask you. If it was not important, why were they praying for them to receive the Holy Ghost? Why just leave them alone? They received the word. They obviously believed. But they didn't leave it there. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he, the Spirit, the Lord, 
was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They believed. Obviously, they had repented. They'd been baptized in Jesus' name. And what happened? Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. It's incredible. This is Acts 19. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. He found certain disciples. These were disciples of John the Baptist. And he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we don't even know what you're talking about. We, we don't even know whether there be any Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? And Paul said, well, uh, how were you, or unto what then were you baptized? They said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And now Paul is going to describe what happened. John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. But he said to the people, they should believe on him, which should come after him, that's on Christ Jesus. Now, if you are a believer, and you've been baptized any other way, as I said last week, I, I want to tell you that you can be rebaptized in the name of Jesus. If it wasn't important, Paul would have left them alone, but he didn't leave them alone. They were obviously believers, and had followed through with every measure of repentance. But Paul said, believe on Jesus and be baptized, and that's exactly what they did. When they heard this, here's verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It didn't stop there. Remember, death, burial, resurrection. That's the gospel from now until eternity. This is not a denominational lesson. This is not a lesson about someone's personal beliefs or a doctrine of a church. This is Bible doctrine, the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. They had repented, even baptized in repentance. They had been baptized once, but Paul said, oh no, hold on a second. There's another way, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, verse 6, Paul laid his hands upon them. What happened? The Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Mm. Death, burial, resurrection. I just want to do this again so that we are firmly entrenched in the gospel because this is a critical juncture in our lesson. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which the Lord said we have to obey, which the Bible said we have to be obedient to, it's not just believe the gospel, but believe and obey the gospel. This is how we are, we are preparing ourselves for this covenant. The gospel is the death of Jesus Christ. It's the burial of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do I obey the, the, the gospel? How do I do that? I die to sin when I repent. That is an about face. I remind you the word repent, matinio, an about face, a turning away. It's kind of like a foot soldier. When he clicks his heels and he makes an about face, he turns away. He removes himself from the direction he was going. That's repentance. No one can go to heaven without repenting. You can say, well, I believe in the Lord. You have to repent. The Bible says you must repent. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So let me ask you, can you go to heaven without repenting? No. Because Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll die. You'll die in your sins. Burial, the burial, this is water baptism. 
Remember what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He said, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when you are baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. Jesus was baptized, so should we. All the early church was baptized, so should we. Why would Jesus be baptized and say, oh, but no one else needs to be baptized? In fact, Peter said, just as Noah was saved by water, read it in your Bible, Peter wrote, even so, baptism saves us. Now, we're in this water baptism, and the final one is the spirit baptism. Because Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. Don't marvel, he said. Don't marvel. The spirit moves where it wants to. You, you, you can't monopolize it. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. And when they received the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, they spake with tongues, just like it's happening all over the United States. This is happening today. Of course, there are a few folks who try to, to minimize that because they're quoting Paul's writing when Paul said, you know, whether it be tongues or knowledge, it will cease. That's true. Someday it will. When there's a resurrection, knowledge and tongues and all the things, in fact, the church will cease. But knowledge hasn't ceased and tongues have not ceased. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the evidence will come out of your mouth. It is evidence or utterance of the Holy Spirit. This is my last portion for us tonight and I want to bring it to the forefront because uh, it's important that you have full disclosure of the Bible. I just want you to remind you of the gospel, death, burial, resurrection. If you have not been here for the last couple of lessons, it it might behoove you to go back and to see how we've progressed through this, uh, to this point, what the gospel is. So, on my last page, and I think it's, if you have a handout or your book, I think it's page 18. The gift of tongues. We're going to talk a little bit about the gift of tongues before we conclude tonight. The difference between the gift of the Holy Ghost, resurrection, and the gift of tongues given to the church. And I want to read through this a little bit. And then, and I might pause and go back to it, but I just want to show you something here. Even though the Bible clearly speaks of the Holy Ghost as necessary or a necessity for salvation, a controversy developed over the years discouraging people from seeking for the promise or the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost. The development came decades after the early church was established and subsequently sought to limit the outpouring of the Spirit upon all people as prophesied by Joel. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which had already received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Everyone pause right there. Remember, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then the birth of the church in the book of Acts. Everything else after the book of Acts were written to people already saved. They had already experienced baptism, repentance. They had already experienced this. It was written to the church, to the brethren. It was written to people that were already saved. So Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which had already received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, describing separate gifts given to the church for the benefit of the body. There were nine gifts of the Spirit listed, one of which was the gift of tongues, followed by the gift of interpretation. The gift of tongues was and is meant for the benefit of communicating to the church body through the Holy Spirit. 
this unique gift is meant for the edification of the body. However, in an attempt to remove speaking in tongues in the church, an erroneous doctrine, false doctrine, has been extrapolated from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A false doctrine was presented, leading people to think that the Holy Ghost was only for just a handful of people. This false doctrine stated that the baptism or the initial baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gift of tongues are the same thing and all of it needed to be interpreted. Yet the scripture reveals that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was accompanied, proven, and delivered through other tongues and that everyone should be born again of the Spirit. That's the resurrection. Now the gift of tongues found in 1 Corinthians 12, on the other hand, was a specific gift provided by God for those who were already born again of the Spirit. Furthermore, Paul taught that this gift, along with others, was meant for the benefit of the corporate body of believers. In conclusion, while many have the gift of tongues and interpretation, everyone must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the resurrection. If you want to study this further, I've listed uh, a writer, uh, one of my favorite authors, David Bernard, and his description of the new birth experience. Remember what Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. He always encouraged speaking in tongues because that was, again, the sign of the resurrection. Paul's definition of the gospel, everyone must die to sin. Paul's definition of the gospel, everyone must be buried with Christ in water baptism. He preached that, he taught that. And finally, everyone must be resurrected by the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And finally, Paul would write this. This is a very important scripture. It's critical to our understanding. Because when Paul talks about the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, he's talking about this outpouring of the Spirit, which he promoted, he taught, he preached to all the churches. He said, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This is not the attitude of Christ, not the disposition of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. So I would say tonight, this gospel is for you. It's for everyone. It's not for someone. It doesn't matter what title they have. It doesn't matter what denominational church they go to. This gospel is for everyone. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it has happened in many, many places where people have been, been born again of both the water and the spirit. I want to encourage you tonight. Follow this scripture. Repentance. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you can be standing or sitting or kneeling, it really doesn't matter, but your posture must be one of reverence and hunger. Just like they were, they were, they were praying. They might have had their hands up or down, I, don't, I do not know, but they were praying and worshiping God. When you worship God, he inhabits your praises. And the word hallelujah is the highest praise. I remember when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I think my parents were very happy that I received it and they wanted me to receive it every day, I'm sure, after that. I was at the altar and I was kneeling down and I can remember just, I was praying, I was so hungry to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the Spirit came, I can remember saying, I love you, Father, I love you, Father. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The next thing I knew, I was just, I had been on my knees, but I just kind of went back on my back and, and, and I remember tears coming out of my face and I was speaking in an unknown tongue and the Lord baptized me with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. 
two of my four children received the Holy Ghost speaking other tongues in their bedrooms while we were all in a family prayer. And I can, I can tell you just from my personal experience, it is the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life. To know that the Lord is inside of you, living inside of you, the Spirit of Christ inside of you. It doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake because being born again of the Spirit means you're born. Now you have to live. Of course, there's a life to live after being born, but to be born of the Spirit means that you have power, you have authority. Yes, you have to learn how to use that and grow in Christ. But this gospel is for everybody. It's not for people of just one age. It's not for any ethnicity. It's for all people around the world, and it's happening all over the world. And as we see the world closing in and things start to change, there is an outcry for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So I pray today, and I'm going to pray as I close, that you will seek this out for yourself. And if you know this, you should share these three videos with everyone you know, download those PDF files, get into your scripture, because this is the word of God. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word tonight. I'm so thankful for the understanding of your word. It's irrefutable, Lord. It's in the scripture. And we know, Lord, that there's no other way to be saved but by faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to your word. And we want to obey the gospel just as you promoted in this scripture. This is your infallible book. And we thank you, Lord, for it. I pray for a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And, and for those who have experienced this, a great conviction to the exclusivity of the word of God. So that nothing else fills our mind and our mouth except your word and the propagation of the gospel, that we would indeed be witnesses unto the uttermost part of the earth. And I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for everyone who is seeking for the Holy Ghost. I know that you're going to fill them with the Holy Spirit. I thank you for everyone who has it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us, let us exercise ourselves in the Word and in the Spirit, I pray. And we give you great praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.